Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. From Postcard from the Past and Wardle Studios, this is podcast from the past, the postcard podcast. This is the podcast where we decode scrawls, read between the lines, where X marks our chalet and the sky is always blue, as we attempt to understand the memories, meanings and stories held by picture postcards. I'm Tom Jackson and today I'm delighted to say my guests are two writers, Kieran Pym and Sophia Moneycoots. Kieran and Sophia, hello and welcome. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much for having us. Good to be here. Oh, well, I'm delighted. I'm charmed and delighted. Uh, Kieran Pym was the literary editor of the Eastern Daily Press for many years. Uh, he still writes for a number of newspapers and has perhaps the most diverse and unexpected literary CV we've met in this um, <laughs> commodious studio. Um, he's the author of The Bumper Book of Dinosaurs, an edition of the medieval Hebrew poetry of Mayor of Norwich, <laughs> and his best-known book, uh, the award-winning Jumpin' Jack Flash, a biography of David Litvinoff, an extraordinary man whose influence connected the East End to the West End, the craze to the Rolling Stones, um, Eric Clapton and Lucian Freud, Nicholas Roeg and Darcy Bussell, a very odd, uh, fascinating, dangerous man. Um, mm. We'll hear more about him, I'm sure. Uh, Kieran comes to us with an NR3 Norwich postmark? That's correct, yes. Uh, is that where yeah. you've always been? Or? It's not where I've always been. I was born in East London, but we moved up to North Norfolk when I was young, I went back to London for university, but then after that I I shuffled back to the parental home after graduating and then our local newspaper was recruiting for graduate trainees in 2000. So 2001 I started on, on the Eastern Daily Press and so I've been in journalism or writing of various descriptions uh, ever since then. Very good. And, and living in Norfolk since And it then. works for you? It works for me. Norwich is a lovely city. It's full of artists, writers beautiful historic buildings, it's a very liberal city, history of political dissent. It's an interesting place to live. That's excellent. Yeah. And Kieran, do you still send postcards? Well, I've been thinking long and hard about this, and the fact I have to think so hard about it... <laughs> it's not a good sign. It's not, is it? I was trying to think when I last sent one, and I think it may have been on honeymoon. My wife and I went around America. This is 2006. Now, I always buy them. Wherever I go, I buy them. Well, but that's definitely I, half the problem solved. It is, but the major <laughs> problem is my inability to write on the back of them, put a post, postage stamp on them and put them in a letterbox anywhere, and that seems to be insurmountable <laughs> yes. these days. Well, you're not the first to die. I, mean, I, I, yeah. I look at a lot of old postcards, I mean, some of them are 100 years old, more, yeah. and people write them 
and never got round to sending them. So even then, I think it's it's, it's a physical issue and you, you either do it or you don't. I yeah, have various definitely. postcards at home that I have written mm. that are sitting, you know, in my desk drawer or something. Sadly. No. Yeah, does, that's quite, <laughs> it is quite sad. Isn't it? Does he feel guilty? Yeah. I would feel guilty. Oh, I feel guilty about most things. Oh, OK. So, yeah, can, <laughs> Just uh, another thing to add to the list. <laughs> Now, Sophia Money Coots, um, who despite rumours is an actual person, yes. um, spent five years labouring at the tweed face of society, studying the aristocracy as features editor for Tatler. Mm-hmm. Um, she's put this experience to very good use in her novels. Um, <laughs> the Plus One, which uh, the Sunday Times called Howlingly Funny, um, and it is very funny, I've read it, <laughs> uh, and her new one, What Happens Now, which mm. by the time this goes out, I think will be out and doubtless gracing the uh, the top bestsellers charts. Um, these are chatty, romantic, funny uh, romps through 21st century life, uh, skewering modern manners and uh, what it is to look for love to a large part. Uh, and Sophia comes to us today bearing... A postmark I'm having trouble reading, really. It says 1,700. What does that mean? 17. Well, I think it's uh, actually 17,100, ah. which is... So that relates to the town in northern Spain, in Catalonia, where my dad and my stepmother live. Um, a house right up... It was a ruin, um, and actually partly built by a student of Gaudi's, right up in the hills in a region called the Gavar, very hilly, natural... Um, region of Spain. Sounds wonderful. It's heaven. It's like two miles up a track and actually whenever anybody comes to try and find the house and they've never been there before I think they get halfway up the track and think well this can't be right. It must have gone wrong. We should have gone I told you we should have gone left back there. <laughs> you caused um, the trouble. Because it's just so far up this track people think well nobody in their right mind would be up here. It's mad. Particularly because it's been particularly hot over there recently and I think there have been lots of forest fires. Luckily they have been untouched but it's just a very very special place and it, I think it's been the home because my parents are divorced there's lots of divorces in my family that I've known for the longest right so it's the town is called Labisbal um so yes that's because in Spain they have numbers uh, not letters so 17,100 but I'm sure they say it differently over there <laughs> but that's how I'm gonna say it <laughs> but that's stuck to you you you, you can't really escape that's that. my place yeah um now before we discover the cards that Sophia and Kieran have brought along mm-hmm. I'll give you a quick one of mine uh, this is of course a postcard from the past card like I do on Twitter, at past postcard, uh, an old card from which I've selected just a little bit of the message. Uh, and um, actually, by an extraordinary coincidence, this card is Spanish. <gasps> Look at that. It's as, meant if I, to be. It's, as if I'd known. Clever. Uh, it's a very nice picture, actually, of um, some very fierce and proud looking flamenco dancers mm. in um, uh, brightly coloured dresses inside a, a, a patio. Uh, very posed, I think. Uh, they've not been caught in action there. <laughs> the message is, is a, it's a holiday postcard. I don't have a date on it. Oh, 1966, possibly. Love it. A long time ago. And it was sent uh, by someone called Jeanette and Keith. And it was sent to Hull. Um, and the, the message really just uh, outlines something of their holiday. Um, I'll give you a flavour of it. We are having a grand time. We have met two people from Huddersfield and went to a nightclub last night but didn't stay as Coke was three and eight each, went to a bar and got four rum and Coke for three and ten. Now, three and ten is, what, three shillings, ten pence. That'd be about less than 20 pence. Um, was great. Finished up on champagne. <laughs> great night out. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't know what champagne that would have Carver, been. Carver, surely, in um, Yeah, Spain. well, I'm sure it was called champagne. Yes, that's true. <laughs> um, in fact, actually, this is so long ago, maybe they hadn't brought in those very strict rules about what you can and exactly. can't call cheddar cheese. And, and, and Melton and, Mowbray pork pies. Precisely. Yeah, in those days, you could sell champagne and call it a Melton Mowbray pork pie, <laughs> yes. and nothing would happen to Simpler you. Simpler times. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next week, uh, Kath and I are going bullfighting. 
Only baby bulls, though, should be a laugh anyway. Much less cruel. Well, that's so bad, <laughs> yeah. Should be a laugh yes. anyway. Yeah, yeah. But you're right. So much less cruel to kill a baby bull. Well, perhaps they well, just played with them. That's and amazing. Them. That's a very good one. Um, anyway, just to let you know at home, uh, images of all these cards we discussed today on the blog, postcardfromthepast.co.uk, so you can see we're not making it up. Now, Sophia and Kieran, you've been kind enough to come to the studio today with some postcards of your own. Let's start with you, Kieran. What's the first card you've brought along with you? So the first card is a card from Germany. It's a wonderfully kitsch scene. It it shows four middle-aged women. No, sorry, I'm looking closely. Three middle-aged women (laughs) and a man who is rowing... um, He's, yeah, he's the oarsman. Um, and they're sitting in a boat in the middle of a lake. Uh, it's, a, a, it's surreal. I don't know why that was so odd, but it is odd. something very kitsch about it. Mm. And they, although it looks like rather an idyllic day out, they look really quite glum. Um, <laughs> and in the background, we have this uh, kind of, I'd like to think it's a Bavarian scene. I'm not yeah, entirely sure. Yeah, certainly a mountainscape and, and a town. Yes, and a church and... Um, so and it's got a nice deckle edge as well, that has, sort of waffly edge. Yeah, that's yeah. what it's called. However, it wasn't sent from Germany. It was sent oh. from Orpington, <laughs> um, which is where it's my... It's the Bavaria of uh, the London suburbs. <laughs> it was sent to me by my dear uncle, Brian, Brian Case, who was a, a literary journalist, a jazz critic and a film critic. Um, and he sent it to me uh, when my first book came out, the aforementioned Bumper Book of Dinosaurs. Oh, yes. Um, and Brian has always encouraged my writing. From when I was a teenager, um, he gave me work experience. He was the book's editor on Time Out at that time. Previously, he'd written on jazz for Melody Maker and NME in the 70s. Um, he's, he'd interviewed any, anyone and everyone, really. Oh, really? Years, um, from the worlds of film, literature, music. Um, a great writer, great stylist, very funny, very informed. Um, and so Brian always kind of mentored me and encouraged my writing. When I was at university, he started me off. He got me in print for the first time, other than the student magazine. Um, he he sent me some books to review for Time Out. Oh, perfect. And that really got me started as a writer. And, um, and he's always coaxed me along, along, along the way, really. Um, is he still alive? He is still alive. Oh. He is 81. Oh, he might well be listening to this. Well, he, he may well do. Um I last saw him a couple of weeks ago. We went to a jazz gig together just down the road at Peaks Express Live, a tenor saxophonist called Benny Golson, who's 90. Wow. He goes all the way back to the 50s when he was in Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers. You know, quite a legendary figure. Good Lord. And it was lovely. That was a good me. catch. Yeah. Well, it was lovely for me to see him because he's one of my favourite jazz composers and also it was you know, wonderful to catch up with Brian again. Brian sent me this postcard um, when the book came out. And in inimitable Brian's style, it made me smile. Um, it begins, Scoops! Exclamation mark. This was his nickname for me as a, a budding Sweet. journalist. Oh, I love that. Well done with the book. We're prouder of you, even than when you won the snail slow slide against all comers, e.g. Laura, that's my sister. Now, this is a reference to my childhood in North Norfolk when Brian and his wife, my aunt Sonia, and their daughters, Daisy and Molly, came to visit. And... On the slide in our back garden in North Norfolk, we had a slow sliding competition. How slow oh, I see. You had to can you go down oh. the slide in the back garden? Brilliant. Well, that, that's a whole day's activity. Well, it is in Norfolk. Well, if you were <laughs> going to be the winner, yeah. And we, um, I mean, this in, in, in Aylesham, the town where I grew up in, in, in the mid-80s, 
that was pretty exciting, you know, and, and I won anyway. And I, did you? you know, what was I, your time? How slowly You know did what, you? This, this was in a time probably before stopwatches. I think, we just had to, <laughs> I think we counted in our heads, but I reckon it was probably about half an hour. Um, joke. No, I don't know. I'm but, but a long time. The, the finer details are a bit blurry, yeah, but, you know, um, yeah. this is something that went down in family history. Time anyway. passed differently in those days anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So I had this book launch, which Brian... Um, sadly couldn't come to. He said, I wish I could have been at the event, but thought I'd fracture my ribs instead. Oh. Know, he, had, he had a bit of a fall around that time. Oigavolt, he says, a lovely bit of Yiddish. Um, and so, Oigavolt. Um, Oigavolt, yeah. Um, that just means... Brian isn't Jewish, but he's, he's very well-versed in Yiddish, among many other things that he's well-versed in. What is that? What um, is, is that just a sort oh, of expression it's like, of... It's an expression of kind of you know, shock and disappointment okay. and... Yes. and Dismay, dismay, really. Very um, good. So it goes on from there, but this is it's a postcard that um, makes me think of the lovely relationship I have with my uncle, who has done so much to encourage my writing over the years. Uh, so much so that when my last book was published, I dedicated it to him. So this is the, the David Litvinoff book, which I gave a dedication, which I will just find... It says, for Brian Case, who started me writing and kept me reading with my thanks and respect. So what I'm referring to there is the, the writing, writing jobs he gave me over the years, the reviewing, but also he's a great one for just sending you books that he thinks you might like, Brilliant. things you've probably never heard oh, of. Oh, that's the best gift. That. And he has yeah. impeccable taste and he knows what each individual person will probably go for. So, um, yeah, so that postcard makes me think of, of all of those things. And I can see why you held on to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah very good. Thank you. So, actually, I think the cards today, from my uh, intuition, are all kind of family-ish related. But let's um, mm. let's start with your first card, Sophia. Mm-hmm. This is, um, it, looks, it looks like it comes from further afield. It's Yes, it is Kilimanjaro, a snowy-topped Kilimanjaro with clouds swirling around it. And this is a big card, this. Is like, a, it's it is a big, it, it is a large postcard, which I would normally shy away from because then you've got to write more. Um, but actually, my dad and I have both written on the back of this. Um, so it was one that I sent we sent, I should say, from Tanzania to my granny. And the reason it's of Kilimanjaro is that when I was, um, well, actually, when I was very young, my dad read an article in a magazine or a Sunday supplement or somewhere about... Stuff you get in those newspapers. Yeah, I know, the stuff these journalists turn out. That's nonsense. But this father had decided, or he was lamenting in this piece, the fact that in Western society these days, we don't have rituals for when uh, girls or boys turn 18. Um... So, I mean, you know, you might have a party and get pissed, but it's not much more than that. No, it's um, really formalised. Yes, and it's just, that, yeah, it just happens and there we go. So this father in the article that my dad read had decided that when each of his children turned 18, he would go off for a week, strictly a week, some, anywhere in the world, but it had to be to do something bonding. Uh, activities like skiing and shopping were deemed too frivolous, so it had to be doing something more serious than that. And so Dad decided, my dad decided he would copy this father, and I am the oldest of his children, and so I decided... <laughs> I actually, pick. Yes, exactly. I actually can't even really remember how I decided on climbing Kilimanjaro, but I decided that is what we were going to do. So off we went. I was obviously 18 at the time. We'd I mean, trained is a bit of a generous word. I mean, we'd probably gone on a few long walks on the weekends or something. Yes, but we that's went... not Kilimanjaro, <laughs> is it? No. So we flew to Nairobi, and then I remember getting a very, very, very hot minibus for an entire day driving across the border into Tanzania. I mean, beautiful landscape and very interesting, but it was hot and jet lag, and I was also on anti-malaria pills of some sort, anti-altitude sickness pills of some sort. 
And eventually that evening we got to this hotel in the foothills of this mountain and we had a lecture about... We were starting our ascent the next day and we had this hour-long lecture before dinner about how it was going to be a very tough climb and on the final ascent, we'd on that day, we'd be woken up at midnight and we'd have to climb for six hours in the dark and we'd lose toenails and have diarrhoea every 20 <laughs> metres and it was a fairly horrifying lecture. Yeah, did you begin to get second thoughts? Well, a little bit. I sort of... We were released from that lecture and we staggered into supper in this hotel, in the dining room of this hotel and I didn't feel great so I said to Dad, oh, God, sorry, I'm just going to have to go to the loo. And I don't remember much after that, but I... So I fainted, and I've actually never fainted... I've never fainted before or since. Cracked my head on the side of a table going down, and I've, you can see I've got a scar around my left eye. Oh, yeah. I can put that on the blog as well. Um, <laughs> and, Large uh, close-up. <laughs> um, and I came around, there was a tussle going on. Two American doctors happened to be staying there as well, and they'd seen me hit my head, and they were trying to get my head back so they could look at it. Dad hadn't, so he was trying to get my head between my legs. So I came around <laughs> to this sort of backwards and forwards motion. And then my dad said he pulled away his hand. It was just covered in blood and I was had a big, big gash. So that meant that we didn't... I had to go to hospital and have it all stitched up and it was all very dramatic. And it, luckily it was fine, despite the American doctors being quite dramatic at one point and saying, oh my God, she's going to have brain damage. Um, and dad thought, oh Christ, I mean, I really wasn't... This wasn't the bonding trip that no. I <laughs> bargained on. So actually what happened is... We didn't climb up the mountain because I needed... I sort of actually slept, I remember, for about 48 hours after that. Oh, had the most incredible black eye you've ever seen. It was really impressive. Um, but we had actually, ironically, it turned out to be a really bonding week because the area we were staying in is beautiful. And we did go for some walks. We went to a safari park for a day and saw lots of flamingos and elephants. And actually, I think for a father and daughter, it did end up being very, mm. very bonding. You couldn't script it though, could you? you no, couldn't plan that. No, I mean, I definitely wouldn't have planned that. Um, so, so yeah, so this is the postcard that we sent to my poor granny, <laughs> like alerting her to the news uh, via a postcard saying, Dear Granny, I hope this finds you well. After a slight change of plans here, brackets, we'll explain when back. Dad and I are having the most fantastic time wandering through coffee and banana plantations, seeing local people and eating like kings, taking masses of photos. So we'll, so we'll show you all when back. All my love, Soph. And then Dad adds a little bit, saying, minor disagreement between Soph's head and a table on first night meant the climb was cancelled. <laughs> anyway, so we had, a, we had a brilliant time. But poor Granny, I mean, I presume we got back and we told her, hopefully before she got this, and was worrying about her granddaughter's head. But We get cards where people say, oh, this, is, this reminds me of a holiday, reminds me of a trip. It's very rarely something that reminds you so specifically... Of an event. ...of a moment when your head hit the table. You know? <laughs> <laughs> this complete catastrophe, yes. It's, it was a, yes, it is a good story. Very good. to tell the tale. Anyway. I, but you decided to hold on to it. You didn't want to get rid of that. Uh, of the postcard? Yeah. No, definitely. I've got to keep this. Yeah, yeah, forever, forever. But it came back to you. Oh, I know, no, no. Oh, I tell you why. Because um, my grandmother, very sweetly, she was a real postcard sender. And she, when she died, we found bags and bags and bags of everything that her grandchildren, actually, and her children had sent her, which was kind of so moving. Mm. It's embarrassing. Actually, as um, my homework before coming on here, I was going through a lot of them and so many of my letters and cards to her start, Dear Granny, I'm so, so sorry this is so, so late. Oh. <laughs> Thanking her for, you know, the At least you're saying that. Yeah. Yes, that's true. I just felt very guilty. But if, yeah, so if she made the effort to keep them, then that's the least you can do to now hold on to them, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, it's very yeah. special to have, I think. Yes. So, but yes. it's odd because you're... you're it's it's from you. Yes, so it's a strange thing. But you I still know, want to keep them. but I love it. it. I've meaning. got it, and then we'll remember that story. Well, the scar will remind me of that story forever. <laughs> but as will this postcard. Very good. Well, thank you for sharing that uh, with, with us and with our listeners. Um, another quick one from me in the past postcard style. This is a, uh, I suppose it's, it's, mm. it's a combination. It's both a map card, and people are very fond of map cards, and it's a multi-view in that there are multiple views, oh. and it has a sort of wavy line, Sussex by the sea, in case. 
you wonder where Sussex is. I grew was. up in Sussex, so... By the sea? Well, not totally by the sea, about half an hour away from the sea. But is that go. Brighton, that middle one? It must be, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, Lovely. And this is from 1984. And uh, it was sent to Wickford in Essex. And uh, it's someone called Lorraine and Julie have written this one. So many boys keep asking us to dance. But there's so many, we have to keep saying no. But seriously, we have been asked to dance by two men and both are creeps. <laughs> that's it. Yes, that's, that's the key part, yes. Yeah. So there's a lot in there. You know? I love that. That's all you need to know uh, about... Um, about their trip. <laughs> if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Podcasts from the Past, the Postcard Podcast, and my guests today are Kieran Pym and Sophia Money-Coots. Now, Kieran, what's the second card you've got. Okay, yeah, the second card is from the town of Tupelo, Mississippi. Oh, yeah, why uh, do I know that town? You know that town probably because it's where Elvis Presley was born. Ah, yes. Yeah. So this is a card that shows the Tupelo Hardware Company. Um, <laughs> and this is, as you would think, a, a hardware store, but it sells more than just hardware. It also sells guitars. And this is where oh, Elvis... Wow bought his first guitar. And so this otherwise rather nondescript mid-20th century American building has gone down in history as the place that Elvis bought his first guitar. Well, sa- sacred ground, really. Sacred for, ground, for absolutely. so many people. And so this reminds me of a different era in my life, a different era in, in history, really. Um, this is from 2005, 
January 2005 when I went to Mississippi and to Tennessee. At that time, I was a feature writer on the Eastern Daily Press. Um, this is it's a relic, a last relic from my life before children when it was possible to do such frivolous things as go to go on trips like this. Um, um, it was probably the best years of my career as a journalist, I would say. Well, I'd been a feature writer a few years. I hadn't yet got really ground down by the news cycle. <laughs> I was full of youthful enthusiasm. And uh, um, and it was also pre-2008 when the economy hadn't so the crash. collapsed. And at this point in 2005... Uh, the American tourist boards for the Deep South seemingly had absurd amounts of money to lavish on paying for provincial British hacks to travel from Norwich to Memphis, Tupelo, Mississippi. This is a junket and a half. It's a junket and a half. Yeah. Um, to come I think on, those days may be gone a bit as well. Yeah, they, really they sure are, have. I'm they? sure they have. Yeah. Um, but back in 2005, seemingly there was money to spend on paying for people like me to travel from Norwich to go to these places in the Deep South in the hope that we would write a suitably complimentary article that would entice the good people of Norfolk to consider yes. Mississippi as their next holiday yeah. destination. In their thousands. I'm, yeah, I mean, I believe shortly after my article was published, <laughs> you couldn't move through the Deep South but for hearing Norfolk accents wherever you went. Uh, take responsibility for that. Yeah, I think you're yeah. absolutely right. Um, but so this particular trip... Um, was themed around Elvis's 70th birthday. Right. Um, Gosh, that seems young, actually, doesn't it? Now, it, does. it was. It was a while ago. I mean, but, yeah, yeah you know. he would be in his early 80s now if he'd... Or mid-80s if he'd lived. But um, I love a sort of tenuous anniversary like that that, that yes. you can how peg much, an article to. Can we hang on this? I know, yeah. And we're not sure about the place, so here's a hook instead. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we all live and die by those. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so I particularly like this because it reminds me of one of the more surreal episodes in my journalistic career. Which yeah, well, was, how was it? How was the trip? Yeah. How was the shot? So I found myself as part of a party of regional newspaper journalists from England who had been flown out to Tennessee and Mississippi, themed around Elvis's 70th birthday, um, and we were staying in a hotel which turned out to be the focal point for where people from all over the world and all, all over America uh, had congregated to celebrate the King's anniversary. And so wherever you looked around this hotel, there were Elvis impersonators. Wow. From the whole span of his career, from the kind of 50s through to... You know, the, all, all in a sort of contemporaneous yeah, history. All of that. History all flattened out. Elvises everywhere. <laughs> and, um, and other than Elvises, it was filled with elderly American retirees in leisure wear and baseball caps who had come <laughs> in on coaches from Idaho or Iowa or Montana or whatever, come in together and to, to pay tribute to the king. Um, I remember a group of us journalists um, getting a bit lost in this vast corporate air-conditioned nightmare American hotel and stumbling into what turned out to be a conference suite uh, only to find it full of dozens of elderly Elvis fans lined up in rows performing a gentle synchronised dance come exercise routine to burning love oh. um, we just <laughs> looked sight. at each other and it was like a very weird dream <laughs> and suddenly we panicked and thought we've got to get out of here before we get roped in um, so we fled out of there. We went to the shotgun shack where he was born, which is like the kind of two-room really? little ramshackle house where I didn't he know was that born. That was still there. It's still there. So you know, can you go in? Is it someone's? You can. Yeah, it's preserved oh. as a little museum. Um, we went to Sun Records Studio in Memphis. Uh, we went to the Tupelo Hardware Company where I got this postcard. 
it was also the occasion of probably the worst and definitely the weirdest hangover of my life, <laughs> which happened after a night out on the bars of Beale Street in Memphis. Um, that sounds like a, a hangover worth having. It was a hangover worth having. I really earned it and I enjoyed it. <laughs> but it was, um, to quote Withnall and I, it was a real bastard behind the eyes. <laughs> it was a, a real stinger. Um, and the memories are hazy, but it involved a lot of bars, beer, whiskey, more whiskey. And the next morning, before we knew it, we were being carted off semi-conscious to Graceland. Oh, um, really? In this state? In this state, which I think would be a, a weird enough trip in the best of conditions. But with the hangover from hell... Really, the king's taste in interior design and decor just proved to be more than <laughs> my eyes and adult brain could cope with. I mean, everywhere I went, the weird questions just posed themselves to me. Why were the billiard rooms, walls and ceiling entirely covered in 300 yards of pleated, multicoloured fabric? <laughs> Why was Elvis's den carpeted in garish green shag pile? Why were there so many animal furs everywhere that it made me feel queasy? Why did he need so many aeroplanes? Did he really need two televisions side by side so he could watch two shows at once? And none of these questions was satisfactorily answered. No, I'm sure. Um, I came away with a lot of questions and a pounding headache. Oh, um, dear. But it's, uh, it's a card that reminds me of a, a mad, wonderful trip. Um, and really from a different era. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't think we'll see the like of those days again, or not for a, a while yet. No, anyway. no, there are a number of factors yeah, that, all... that just mean that's not going to happen for a yeah, bit. Yeah, But so... except perhaps, you know, newly wealthy parts of the world. I think, you know, you might suddenly that's find yeah. marvellously uh, well-furnished trips to parts of China or something. Like, you know, yes, that's true. Yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. In the same way they used to get flown out to Gulf states where they were trying to persuade you that it was great for tourists. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that's very true. In, in your yeah. your Jumping Jack Flash book, mm. Kieran, um, yeah. there's a you've drawn you drawn a huge number of interviews, and I think that was a, a key part of you getting such uh, mm. sort of first hand stories. Yeah, was there much sort of written work you drew on? Were there, were there letters and correspondence and postcards? The, you know, I say postcards optimistically. Yes, uh, <laughs> there were. I mean, one of the things that really whetted my appetites um, for for researching this book was the discovery discovery fairly early on that actually there were quite a few letters. I mean, insofar as Litvinov had been discussed before, it was always in terms of it's impossible to tell this man's story because he left nothing behind. And actually various of his, of his friends quite early on said to me, oh, yeah, I've got some letters. Yeah, you know, I'll look them out for you. It turned out that there was a, a tangible legacy. Um, for all that he was a man who told one of his friends, Nigel Weymouth, that he only wanted to leave two pieces of paper behind in this life, his birth certificate and his death certificate. <laughs> so it's a good line, but it wasn't true. Right. And he left a lot of letters and, moreover, some, some wonderful letters. He, he wrote a great letter um, and a great postcard. Um, and there's one which I thought I would mention... Mm. Uh, just to give a little bit of context, um, Sophia, do you know yeah. who this man was? I have to say, I didn't, but I'm obviously going to rush out immediately can, after can this you and, and buy in the a book. Sentence or two, Kieran. I mean, it's tough. It is tough. He was I mean, nobody you know, in some ways, but I in spent, other ways, he was. Yeah, I spent 350 pages trying to sum him up. <laughs> um, he was somebody who connected the worlds of rock and roll, art, criminality, uh, the loose bohemian aristocracy, all of these worlds that intersected in London in very fruitful, interesting ways in the 1950s and 60s. Litvinoff was one of the instigators uh, of those culture clashes. Um, he introduced people um, from Lucian Freud and Francis Bacon to the Rolling Stones and Eric Clapton, the Harlech family, um, the... the 
if you had a Venn diagram of <laughs> of London in in those days and the ways that all those circles intersected, he would be standing in in the intersection of all yeah. of those. Yeah. Okay. Um, Just as a social figure, I mean, was he producer or no? He was a sort of social. He wasn't an he was a fixer of sorts. He was a kind of fixer okay. if he was anything. He mm. aspired to be a writer. He was a bit of a, a kind of Fleet Street freelance hack in the fifties. But he, he was never defined by any one career. He was someone who hustled his way along, really, Great. and lived off his wits um, day to day, really. And how did you, why did you come to him? Why did you want to write Well, I came to him because, by coincidence, I read a couple of books in which he featured. I went on holiday, summer 2010, took two books with me to go to France for a week. One of them was a book by Ian Sinclair and Rachel Lichtenstein, a wonderful book called Rudinsky's Room, which features a chapter by Sinclair called Who Cares for the Caretaker? And this is all about his interest in Litvinov and the seeming impossibility of telling Litvinov's story. Um, and that's, that's actually how I got to read your book was it? from reading yeah. that one. Uh, right. I wanted to find out more. I looked and then there was your book. I yeah. So I took the path that you'd already taken. Well, you know, Sinclair's a wonderful writer and he writes so beguilingly and mysteriously and enticingly about Litvinov. That, a, came, that is a great book. That's a wonderful book. And Rachel Lichtenstein's side of, of the book is fantastic as well. Um, um, but so that whetted my appetite. And then I, I started rooting around from there. Um, oh, the other book I took on holiday was a book called Journey Through a Small Planet by Emmanuel Lipfanoff, who was David's half-brother. Um, okay. And David only features tangentially in that. But it was a, it was a serendipitous mm-hmm. coincidence that he... He featured in the two books I took on holiday. Which you didn't know before at all. I didn't know at all, no. Huh, how funny. I thought, okay, someone's trying to tell me something. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I was at a point where I really wanted to try writing a book as opposed to a 2,000-word newspaper feature, (laughs) Um, which is all good fun. But, you know, you get to a point where you think, could I I do something a bit longer? Um, Yeah. And I I seized on it, really, because it also struck me as one of the last substantial remaining untold stories about 60s London. Mm. And... So I, I took it from there, really, and it just How long it did it snowballed. Take to it took about five and a half years, wow. uh, about 100, 105 interviews, I think, um, and then obviously a lot of reading and a lot of travelling around. One of the places it took me to was the the town of Llandawydd Revy in, <laughs> in West Wales, Ceredigion, Cardiganshire, um, which is the town where Litvinov lived in self-imposed exile from about 1968 to 70. Just to give a little context to that, he so he was a man who had a foot in the underworld at all times, got up to some very dodgy things. Um, he was, in the late 50s, early 60s, he, he was in the Cray Twins circle. Um, uh, but he was also friends with a lot of the kind of young aristocrats, the young bohemian artists, who relished the stories that Litvinov could tell about the craze and their circle and mm-hmm. the mad, horrible things that he witnessed while knocking around with Ron and Reg. Um, uh, witnessed firsthand uh, and experienced, for example, in terms of the story that I opened the book with, which is when he opened his door to his flat off Kensington High Street, took a fist in the face immediately, and then woke up to find himself naked, shaven-headed, tied to a chair, dangling over Kensington High Street from his balcony wow. uh, after annoying some 
somebody with Underworld Connections, well, as mm. I say in the book. He probably rubbed up with some of the people you were talking about. I was going to say, some of the Tatlers. They might not talk well. about it now. But... Like the Harlots, and yeah, I mean, I'm sure, yeah. He's bound to have. Yeah. I mean, he had an instinct for finding people who had some spare cash to he look after did. him. Didn't he did. Yeah. He, he really knew how to... Inherited or nicked, clearly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, it didn't really matter whether <laughs> where it had gone from. Uh, cash is cash, after all. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, I mean, a lot of these incidents that he told his friends about in the early to mid 60s, one of the friends was Donald Camel. Uh, Donald Camel went on to to co-write with Anita Pallenberg and uncredited with help from David Lipfanoff, the film Performance, which stars. Uh, Mick Jagger, who at the time, time of recording is his birthday today. It is. Oh, yes. lovely yes. little detail. There you go, Sir Mick. He's seventy-six, okay. I think. Yeah. Um, and into this story performance, they put a load of Lipfanoff stories from from the early sixties. Uh, many of them very thinly disguised. Um, so the one about him being tied to a chair, shaven-headed. Well, that um, that's something that happens to the chauffeur of. Um, a barrister in in performance. Uh, a lot of, a lot of wow. stories from Lipfanoff's life went on screen in this big film starring one of the biggest rock stars in the world at the time. This was a fairly ill-advised move on Lipfanoff's part, <laughs> um, but he was woefully indiscreet, and um, it's the kind of thing he did really. So around the time the film came out, he had a word in his ear that it'd probably be very wise if he got out of London because um, some of his old friends were not best pleased. And so yes, suddenly... Putting he, it on the big screen. Yeah. Um, so he vanishes from London, and the next thing anyone knows, he's living in an old stone cottage in Llandawy Brevi, this village in Western Wales. Um, and while he's there, he corresponds with his friend Sandy Lieberson, who was the uh, producer of performance. Sandy's a lovely man, and he was a great help to me, among other things, by giving me all of his correspondence from Lipfanoff and allowing me to, to quote from it in the book. So he uh, let me have a letter which Lipfanoff wrote from, from the house in Wales. Um, I'm just going to read a little bit, fix it. Um, it shows that Lipfanoff was a man who, among other things, appreciated a good postcard. Thank so it God. starts, this is um, in, in place of, uh, of an address... Uh, it's just got something that's a little riff on the very long Welsh place names that surrounded him. So it says, all one word, from David in Celtic Limboland, where nothing is the norm, and quite rightly so. Is, that's my, my best Welsh very accent. Good. It's um, very good, I think. Thank you. I don't know if any Welsh person would agree, but... <laughs> you can um, write in at the send usual address. Send a postcard. Please write to Tom. Um, and um, it says, Dear Sandy, thanks a lot for your groovy PC postcard. Almost my major event of the month, certainly the nicest. This is when he's living pretty much solitary in an isolated Sweet. cottage in Western Wales when receiving a postcard from a friend yeah. in London was, you know, a pretty major event. Um, he says, I had a simple address once, 2302179 Levy, David. Now, Levy was the name he was born with. He, much to his half-brother's chagrin, he took on their surname, Litvinoff, uh, because it was more exotic. Um, so he started doing that from teenage years. Uh, so Levy, David, HM Prison, Spark Hill, Birmingham 8. One day I may oblige you by patronising the same ever-welcoming property management company. When am I coming to London? Ain't got no plans. Why be crushed, miserable and pointless in London when I can be blue, manic and depressed in Wales? Oh, my God. You do get my point, I hope. I don't seem to have emotions just now, but if I did, I would love you all too. 
I feel very honest these days. Quote from Robert Maxwell, SL. And he goes on in that vein, really. He was, um, for all that, in many ways, he was a really unsympathetic character. He had a wonderful sense of humour and he also had a a keen melancholy about him as well, Mm. which makes you feel rather sympathetic towards him now Mm. and then. Um, A really hard character to pin down how you feel about him. And in the course of my book, researching my book, um, my feelings towards him oscillated wildly. I'm what sure. are they now? Do you like him at all? Yeah, yeah. I, I found out things about him that a lot of his friends never really knew about, which was so off-puttingly off mm. grim. I couldn't categorise my feelings towards him in such simple terms as yeah. I like him. He was very entertaining, very interesting, very mm. significant. And that was actually my kind of mantra through the latter parts of writing the book. It's not about whether you like him or not. It's about whether he's interesting and significant. Yeah. And no one really would deny that he was both of those things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Very good. So that's David Lipfanoff. Well, no, thank you for sharing that from the book. Oh, There's a sort you. of directness in his, his, as well as being melancholy, there's a kind of bleak mm. honesty about there it. There is. And some I'm people, miserable. He's, yeah, yeah. he's, been, <laughs> he's very, been beaten down there. It's a very yeah. direct tone. He was very sharp, very lucid, and there's a kind of Pinteresque quality to wow. quite a lot of There are a lot of Pinter in there, isn't there? There is. I mean, and all kinds of resonances there as yes, well. Yes, yeah, and they came out of exactly the same world, yeah. pretty much contemporaneous. So. And obsessed, obsessed with power relationships and bullying and yes. whether you were doing it or writing about it. Yeah, yeah he was um, fascinated by psychodramas and would never let the dust settle. If he could engineer one, then he, he would really uh, set people off against each other, sit back and watch the sparks fly. I'm so glad I read about him rather than meeting him. Well, you know honest. what? I think that's the best summary of my feelings, actually. I'm so glad I wrote about him rather than meeting him. I'm fascinated to know what it would have been like yeah. to, to meet him. But I'm sure, I'm sure you met him in your dreams a few times when you were writing it. There was a point where he, he got into my subconscious so deeply that, yeah, he did creep into my dreams and, um, yes it's weird that's the fire the people you write about are, are, are no less scheming and troublesome in many ways um, they just <laughs> no, dress it up true. differently yes I think twas ever thus really whichever so it's just human nature yeah I think whatever end of the sort of social scale you might have come from yeah they were all human but your books are very 21st century they're very contemporary so uh, it's far more text messages than, than postcards I think. yes there are probably I'm trying to think if in either I don't think oh I feel very ashamed I'll put a postcard in my next book yeah I think <laughs> <laughs> After it can it can be sort of uh, twee'ly nostalgic. Yes, which which that exists. I Quite. think with um, particularly these these young women you're writing about. Someone might have gone. I don't know. I mean, maybe a Scottish estate for a holiday, and they're sending a postcard back from a fishing holiday or something. Yeah, so I'll do well, that. Right. Yeah, if you could. And, okay. And then I'm presumably on a, a, a serious percentage of the revenue of the book. So <laughs> that's very decent. Talk of you. to my agent. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the last? Uh, I think you've got two cards. I've got, here, well, I've got two card. cards because um. So. And this is this is school days. These are school days. They were both sent to me in my first year of boarding school um i think so again my parents separated when i was eight it was a pretty hideous divorce and my mum moved up to the borders of scotland and my sister and i went with her my little brother stayed at prep school in sussex and um mum so we were with mum most of the time we saw dad uh, every third weekend for a while and so the way that he communicated with us before email and phones was by sending postcards and he was really amazing I think very much encouraged by and, my and this was boarding school this was well to or... begin with just living in Scotland for a year or so right. and then I was sent to boarding school so but these two postcards I've got in my hand relate to when I had gone to boarding school but he was still sending... correspondence is really important for boarding school isn't yeah it? I, mean, I think I mean I think it's changed a lot now, these yeah. days um, but I remember for instance in the first three weeks at boarding school it sounds sort of medieval now we weren't allowed to use a phone we weren't allowed to call right. 
back because the theory was it was going to make us too sad. So, oh, gosh, I thought it was like we just a punishment. No, not prison. <laughs> I mean, obviously, very, very privileged to be there in the first place. But, um, but yes, we weren't allowed to ring. So, I do remember dad sending me, and you know, so it was actually lovely doing my homework for today, going back through them all because they're just, and they're, the thing is, they're not I very they're long. Meant, they're designed to cheer you up, I guess. Yeah, mostly. I mean, they're not very long, a lot of these postcards. And quite often, my stepmother used to just send ones which would literally say S kiss kiss she's called Shauna and just it was just a thing, sort of you know the equivalent of sending an emoji maybe it's all you need. just thinking of you exactly and so one of the but one of the things that dad started doing when we were applied to my brother at boarding school as well was sending quite racy postcards because <laughs> all our posts would be laid out in the morning and so this one I've got in my hand is actually a Herb Ritz image um, and it's just Man with Chain Los Angeles 1985 and it's a very Can you describe it? I'm sure one of your characters could Well almost yes Yes in fact my, my romantic <laughs> heroes don't look totally dissimilar um, It's all sort of yeah very muscled man kind of practically a Michelangelo um, He has no head though that's been cut little, off yeah, the head's oh, you can see in We're shadows, not really you? interested in the head are we? No it's all We're torso and the thighs and the bottom and the arms. He's incredibly muscled, isn't really he? He's muscled. like a, a, a sculpture. Yeah, right. he is exactly like a sculpture with a very, very heavy, sort of like an anchor chain kind of he's around him. He's about to park up his bicycle. Isn't yeah, he? I think, well, you do need one of those, depending <laughs> yeah. on what bicycle you've got around in London. Here, it's yes, very definitely. sensible. <laughs> um, so that was one that Dad sent me when I was 11 and that got <laughs> laid out. No wonder you've in turned my out like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. No wonder I'm now writing bonkbuster novels. Um, so that was, I'm sure my sort of 11-year-old friends thought that was very say? amusing. Um, so it says, soft darling, best I could do today, exclamation mark, think you are fantastic for your tennis, poetry and 800 metres, which I have to say was news to me this week because I just remember being terrible at sport oh, at school. You must have been good. Well... I'm not sure I got any particularly good time, particularly in the 800 metres. Anyway, have a really good weekend. All my love, Pa. And it's just oh, too sweet. So, yeah. th- again, not long. Yeah, it's simple. But just but saying, hi, have a racy man for your... And actually, it was quite sweet. It's got a pin prick through it, so I obviously oh, did have it up yes, on my pin board. Good. That's a sign of Which love. I'm sure my housemistress completely but I bet, I bet your, disapproved um, of. your schoolmates must have been amused at that as well. I think so. I don't remember others having their father sending them <laughs> postcards. And I, do, I know that my brother at school as well was getting sort of, you know, naked women... And I think, but that, I feel like that would have done boys, maybe girls can be quite coy. I think 11 year old girls, we were probably quite coy for a bit about this. For drama, I think it did his street cred no end of good that he was getting <laughs> these racy postcards. Um, so, yes, yeah, so no, I just love that that was how we stayed in touch a lot back then. It was just sort of, I mean, I'm not sure I was the best correspondent back. Um, but anyway, but they you're were very the one nice. in exile, aren't you? So you need the letters. Exactly, we're locked up um, behind walls. So yes, exactly. We need to be reminded of these things. And then the second one is sort of similar. I'm squeaking two in in one entry Good because, well, if it's allowed, because um, it's from my granny who was a very, very supportive and wonderful grandmother, and she also sent many p- postcards. Slightly more educational. This one. Oh yes, we've changed is, tone, haven't we? Yeah, it is Bartolome Bermejo, if I pronounce that. Anyway, an artist. It's a 15th century. Um, picture painting of uh saint michael slaying the devil is that right yes saint michael triumphant over the devil with the donor antonio juan i'm not an art historian so i don't really understand the significance the devil is a sort of hilariously cartoonish character saint michael has got his sword hanging over his head and granny who was remarkable woman in many ways she um was married to my grandpa and then my grandpa ran away with who became my step-grandmother see so many divorces in my family um who was a woman who'd been it was much younger than him and had been a bridesmaid at my grandpa's first wedding to my granny. My granny wow. never married again. It was apparently quite the scandal sort of in the 60s. My granny never married again, um, but had an amazing, amazing life, was 
very active, like the keenest theatre goer, loved the arts. Um, I was very lucky because I was taken to lots of theatre and music when I was a sort of teenager. Um, and so she sent me, and she was always sort of educating us on sort of arty matters. So she sent me this, basically, again, in my first week at school, um, saying, it always takes a little while to learn how to get on and what the rules are. But I thought you might like this, St Michael. I think the devil is marvellously funny. And St. Michael doesn't see the joke at all. I'm all for the devil in this PC, though St. Michael is rather handsome, which surprised me again when I um, when I read it this week because Granny was sort of never one to mar- remark on men, really. Um, anyway, even but, saints. Even saints. But it just, yes, I love it. And it. What's that bit she says about it takes a while to learn the rule? Well, she was saying, basically, this was my first week at school, so it starts, darling, soft, hope all is well with you and that everything seems less strange now that you've been at Wickham some time. But I think but sometime it was sort of two weeks. I'm sure it did all feel completely strange still. Mm. It always takes a little while to teach, to learn how to get on and what the rules are. I think that's really useful advice to ascend someone though, isn't it? Yeah, she was an incredibly wise woman, um, just saying, you know, it'll it'll be fine. That's but... advice you should send people to for, for a new job or for for anything, I think. Yes, it takes a while. It takes a while. You'll, you'll, you'll pick it up, don't worry. But it'll worry. be fine, yeah. And then, because yeah, and I, I was in. homesick, I was definitely homesick. I mean, God, my, the day, first day I went, my mum, I had to be sort of prized off my mother because I was <laughs> crying so much. It's sort of inhumane. I know a lot of people obviously think about boarding school. I mean, I loved it in the end. I had the best seven years ever. But yeah, I do remember at the beginning, it was bizarre. Oh, what was mm. I doing in this place with 500 other girls? Very anyway. good. So, yes, oh, well, two family, I... very sweet family postcards. that meant yeah, a lot yeah, when valuable. I was locked up. Valuable <laughs> to receive at the time, I yes. think. Yeah, very good. Well, look, thank you both so much uh, for sharing these cards with me and each other and the listeners. <laughs> um, another quick reminder, images of all these cards, uh, St. Michael and the Devil and Kilimanjaro and so on and so on, <laughs> Elvis's uh, guitar shop, they're all um, on the blog, postcardfromthepast.co.uk, uh, including one last one from me in the past postcard style which you'll know from Twitter and from the book. This is Southport. It's got a, a deckle edge. Rather an amazing sunny day. It's a bit like the weather we're actually <laughs> yes, having at the time of like recording. Oh, yeah. um, this, I can't read it. It's, it's from the 60s. It's got an old threepenny stamp. It, uh, the, the date is obscured, unfortunately. Um, it's, there's a special postmark advertising the Southport Flower Show, uh, which was on August 28th, 29th and 30th that year. Uh, book your tickets 40 years ago. Um, and it's sent to Blackburn, Lancashire. And the message said, um, oh, yeah, this is just like a little story that makes no sense for you to me. Anyway, Hmm. Les met me at the bus station, but the bus stopped at Lord Street. However, he found me in the cafe near the palace. (laughs) I took the stick and sat on it and broke it in two, but Les is going to get me another one in town. So I think it's one of those shooting stick things. Or is it a sort of Uh. spy? Have you uncovered some sort of great spy (laughs) circle there? Was that sort of Kim Philby writing? I don't know. I like your version better. Yeah, I think that's very (laughs) mysterious. Well, yeah. Brilliant. uh, It's wonderful. uh, I like it when people say, I tried to do this, this, because that's that's actually the stuff of... You could start novels with all those postcards that you've read out. Honestly, you could spin out stories from those. It's always a seed of a story, isn't there? Something because they're so kind of cryptic, they just suggest these incredible But I think maybe I think maybe this is the story. I yeah. don't think it needs to go any further. <laughs> I think that's, it's just a very, very short story. Yeah. Um, look, before we let Kieran and Sophia back to their writing desks, um, I've got one more postcard for you both. Uh, it oh. is customary for us to end on one of these. So this is one for you to have a look at. OK. Oh. Do we, look at, do we can look at the back? Do anything you like with it. It's a flexi... Is it a flexi desk or a singing postcard? Um, oh, do you think? 
Yes. Decalage. Well, I'm glad I've learned today. <laughs> Why have they they've cut the top of Big Ben off? Um, okay. Well, I'm Kieran, you've got it. It's 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 a postcard that's that is also a record. Please tell me that it's connected what? in some way to the singing postman. Well, maybe he, he could have had a career in it. I don't think it is. I don't Hang on, so you could play that? Disappointing. Yeah. Well, young Charlie yeah. has been helping us out next door, recording every single utterance, and if we ask her nicely, she might be able to play it for us. Wow, oh, I've never even heard of that. Oh. Oh. Skipping about a bit. Yeah. You hear that? Yes, yeah. that is remarkable. I always say Do we know who this is? I don't think it's... No, it's a... We Shazam it. <laughs> but I don't think it's a, an artist so much as a... Because rights issues. Specially done, kind of, for a, for, a, for a postcard. I don't think anyone made a lot of money doing recordings for postcards, but maybe they did. I love it. It's oh, good sorry. for a piece of cardboard. It's great. It's amazing for a piece of cardboard. Yeah. Really, I have no idea. And it hasn't... Well, this one hasn't gone through the post, I don't think. Right. But it's probably sent in an envelope, maybe. Yeah. Well, as the House of Commons spins round and round at 45 revolutions per minute, <laughs> that's it for this time on Podcasts from the Past. I'd very much like to thank my first-class guests for sharing the postcards from their pasts, Kieran Pym and Sophia Money-Coots. Thank you both. Well, thank you so much. You it's been a pleasure. Much. And yeah. thank you for listening. Bye for now. You can see more postcards with their messages posted every day on Twitter. Do follow me, at Past Postcard. And you can buy the book, Postcard from the Past, by me, Tom Jackson, at Amazon and all good booksellers. And if you're looking for podcast production, check out wardorstudios.co.uk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.